welcome to Energy Insights. Today we're speaking with Frederic Roda. Frederic is the Vice President of Global Advocacy at NGO Global Citizen. Today we talk about many topics that revolved around the 2022 G7 Summit and climate change. This included how the globe got to where it is today regarding the energy crisis, how the G7's recent decisions of more gas investments will affect the globe, German Chancellor Scholz's recent remarks, LNG investments by developed countries in developing countries, and other topics. It was great to have Frederic on the show to get her insights on these salient issues. So we're here with Frederic Roda. Frederic, thanks for coming on the show. It's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for having me. So just before we start drilling into the recent G7 summit and its outcomes related to climate, gas investments, and other related topics, would you be able to give a summary of what you're currently working on and any other kind of bona fides that you think are, think are important? Of course. Um, so I'm uh, at Global Citizen, which is an international organization fighting extreme poverty. And for us, the fight ex- against extreme poverty cannot be dissociated from fighting climate change. So it's one of our big priorities this year where we hope to see um, progress, especially for, for those that are frontline in the, in the fight against climate change. So very often you, the poorest, small island states and, and so on. And the G7 was an important milestone for us. And now we're preparing for the second half of the year. So Global Citizen does organize um, every year uh, a festival in New York. So this year will be the 10th time in the margins of the UN General Assembly in New York, but we will also have one in Accra, Ghana. Ghana. And we really hope that this will then, you know, provide for more commitments on the fight against extreme poverty, but also climate change, and then lead us into hopefully a successful COP and a successful G20 summit. Great. So I think a, a good place to get started is kind of traveling back to last year at the climate conference COP26. There was a there was a lot of momentum there shown by countries promising phase-outs on coal and signing the Global Methane Pledge, along with many other environmental commitments as well. So could you maybe give us a rundown on how we went from those seemingly positive steps to where we are today and why the G7 is now talking about fossil fuel investments in gas again or restarting coal power plants? Like, How did we get here? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um so, as you said, um, I think the COP26 wasn't at the level we wanted it to be, but we did see progress. You mentioned coal methane, but we also had a commitment to end fossil fuel financing this year and then also the promise to um, revise NDCs by this year's COP. I think both of these commitments were also very important. And what happened then, what you will hear primarily is what happened was the 24th of February, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine that uh, totally derailed the energy market, but obviously also had had other impacts, for instance, on food prices. And that's, of course, true. I mean, this had a huge impact and it's something that governments need to deal with and it can have short-term consequences. We totally get this, but it's not an excuse um, to derail us from plans to to get to um, net zero, to end fossil fuels, and to stay in line with the 1.5 degree goal. And um, also, I think what's actually important to keep in mind is that the Ukraine invasion cannot explain everything. There were already a lot of challenges on the energy market 
um, before the Ukraine invasion, um, just because production had picked up again massively after the kind of break that we saw from COVID. Also because, frankly, we haven't invested sufficiently in renewables before. Um, so problems were already there, but obviously um, exacerbated by what's happened since end of February and which is ongoing, but which cannot be an excuse um, to, yeah, to, to basically go back in time. So with that in mind, I mean, granted, we're in an energy crisis right now, as you mentioned, but what does the G7's change of course or change of tone on, say, more gas investments mean for not only regionally and, say, Europe but also globally. Yeah, so what we saw at the G7 summit is, in the end, it's not a rollback on the Glasgow commitments, but um, during the summit where negotiations were ongoing and, and very much focused on this gas question, there was a real risk that the G7 would roll back. And um, so what this led to is, first of all, a lot of energy, no pun intended, was spent on, uh, on the gas question <laughs> rather than actually talking about progress. Um, so we would have wanted to see more progress, for instance, on the coal phase out, on, on financing um, the um, uh, mitigation and adaptation in the poorest countries, you know, the, the famous 100 billion goal, more on loss and damage and so on. And this wasn't possible because basically they were discussing whether to roll back on Glasgow or not. And, and that's, that's a, such a missed opportunity. It's terrible. Also, uh, the problem with that is that we would have expected that the G7 sends a clear signal of leadership. Um, as I said, we're going into very important um, decision moments um, in the second half of the year. And it was important that the G7 yeah, really showed leadership to help um, drive the COP27 and also the G20 summit to success. And unfortunately, Schloss Edemau rather leaves um, a sentiment of mixed messages. Definitely too much focus on gas. It's, it's a real pity because I think what we've seen in previous years is that we've pivoted from just focusing on, on net zero to really understanding that there is no future with fossil fuels. And this is, I think now, I mean, we've made huge progress on coal and, and petrol, but now the big question is how do we go about gas? And so I think what we, I mean, first of all, um, I would say what, what, what is, is a real worry for us now is, um, we need leadership on climate before going into the COP. Where is it coming from? I wouldn't take the G7 as a block. I would um, actually focus more specifically on Europe because I think Europe actually over the last few years really had this ambition to become a climate leader. And they are now at risk of losing this because their decisions aren't clear. Um, they are saying that they obviously want to um, do nothing that is not in line with the 1.5 degree um, goal, but it's unclear how they want to go about this. And, and they need to explain this because at this stage, I mean, gas investments clearly don't look as if you, you keep in line with the 1.5 goal. Also, of course, as a short-term solution, um, they are importing way more LNG from the US. And we know that, I mean, we were counting very much also on Europe to encourage um, uh, the US to become more of a climate champion. It would be much more difficult for Europe to play this role if at the same time they're the most important client um, of, of uh, an American fossil fuel. And then also, um, yeah, and I think we're already actually seeing the, this, what is happening now. So for instance, the Europe is trying to solve their problems and securing more um, LNG short term. 
But um, this is obviously has to come somewhere and means that less contracts, for instance, are going to China and we're seeing a renaissance of coal in Southeast Asia. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's a real worry. I think there's still possibility for, especially for Europe, and I would say especially for Germany, to show that they um, mean business on climate. I'm mentioning specifically Germany because they actually still have the G7 presidency, right? Even if the summit is over, they still have it until the end of the year. They're obviously the biggest EU member state. They had actually, or they have on paper, very ambitious climate goals. Scholz, the chancellor, made this a priority. And um, and of course, at the same time, they are very impacted by what's happening um, uh, with Russia. So I think if Germany now actually goes ahead and shows how, I mean, details basically their plans and show how they're also going to um, massively invest in renewables at home and abroad, how they're going to um, keep with their goals, not just thinking about the German um, um, climate goals, but also globally and um, and showing ambitions in terms of financing, showing leadership within the in Europe where we would love the EU obviously to have a more ambitious NEC. Things like this can still really make a difference ahead of the COP, restore credibility here and hopefully get us the progress we need. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to, you mentioned Chancellor Schultz earlier and I guess he was at, at the G7, he was one of the, I guess what you would call it, the main proponents, this greater emphasis on on investing in gas and he called it like a more of a short-term kind of solution, right? So, and I wanted to get your thoughts on now I quote him, quote, we all agree where the future lies and it's not with gas. That's particularly the case for Germany. We'll be carbon neutral by 2045 and we'll have consequences for our use in fossil fuels, end quote. Um, so given everything that you've just mentioned, is there a sense of irony that he has you know, said these things and then his actions are kind of speaking in a different way? Um, what do you think of his decisions so far? Do you think that they are, I guess, what you would call justified in given the context that particularly Germany, but also Europe and the entire world is facing? I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not ignoring the energy crisis we're in, and 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 Germany is certainly in a critical situation. Um, so um, they needed to find short-term fixes. But investing in gas infrastructure abroad is not a short-term fix. You're basically locking in infrastructure for fossil fuels long-term. Um, and this idea of um, of using it for blue hydrogen at some point and things like this, it's it's honestly an illusion at this stage. We all would want to to you know to find um, such solutions and and that would be uh, marvelous. But the reality is that we're not there yet. Don't know whether the carbon capture technology is actually effective, and and in reality, also if you look at the whole production process, the carbon footprint of gas, um, or even uh, even actually, um, sorry, blue hydrogen is is massive. Um, so yes, it 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 does sound contradictory. Um, I still hope that they can actually detail what that means, also what it means to get to 20, uh, to carbon neutrality by 2045 as Germany, but then also they need to see themselves as part of the EU and obviously as a global player, because in the end, I don't care whether Germany gets to carbon neutrality if the rest of the world doesn't. 
we really need to have a global yeah glo global analysis here and a global action. What I also found um, quite um, disappointing, and I, I really hope here as well that that uh, Germany can make the shift. And 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 as I said, it's really about restoring credibility and being able to play a leadership role. We do need them. Is on the way they have portrayed these investments saying that it's um, it's justified that countries that poorer countries get those investments that it's important for them um, that this hasn't been done in the past and so on um, I think first of all um, Chancellor Scholz shouldn't be speaking on behalf of Senegal and the reality is also that um, Germany turned to Senegal because of their own problems and to resolve their own Uh, energy problems. I don't think that the first priority has on its mind is the ex energy access of, of the Senegalese population. And, and the reality is also that, um, especially for African countries, um, renewables are, are a better solution. It's not just a, um, from a climate point of view, but also from an economic point of view, because renewables are already or will soon be cheaper. And, um, and it's a real pity because they, He did say that they would also invest in renewables. I mean, first of all, um, I mean, it's as to to to. I mean, that's good to say these words, but we need to see plans. And um, and what's clear is that um, I mean, unless they they come, I mean, they they really come up with a huge package, which they haven't done so far, is that investments in renewables are, are way behind, and that we're not leveraging the potential. I mean, at this stage, I think we have less than 2% of solar energy being produced in, in, in Africa. And, um, and globally, if we look at the international financial institutions, they invest four times more in, in gas projects than in, in, in projects for wind or solar energy, which is crazy given where we stand. The G7 did actually announce a package for investing in infrastructure, and they did announce a huge number, 600 billion Uh, U.S. dollars to um, to be mobilized over the next five years, so including from private sources. But again, there is no breakdown. We don't have visibility of this. And what we know is that, for instance, 300 billion that were announced by the EU are actually an old announcement from last year. So before we went into this huge energy crisis. And as much as I understand short-term fixes, it's a real I mean, it's really a disaster that we don't see the leadership we need in such a crisis. And leadership here means not just to cater for your own interest and short term uh, and, and, and with a short term view, but keeping um, on track with the long term objectives. And if we're, I mean, the reason why we ran into this crisis is because we didn't take the energy transition sufficiently serious beforehand. And now would be the time actually to use this crisis to make a huge shift. And we're not seeing this yet because the reality is we're talking about this crisis, but the reality is also there is a lot of money here. I mean, the, the windfall profits, for instance, because of the high energy prices is something that we could redirect into investments for renewables, for instance. And some are trying to do this, right? But yeah, we need to see this coming from the G7 and particularly from Europe and Germany. So I guess from a developmental perspective, for example, there is an argument there. What I'm getting from you is there is an argument there that these gas investments could basically be better put to better use in, say, supporting green shifts in countries in Africa or in Asia or in Pacific Islands to shore up their own energy supplies. I mean, we've seen already kind of a lot of fossil fuel infrastructure kind of buckling under the situation right now. I mean, we have 
civil unrest going on in Sri Lanka recently with the protest to do with energy and fuel access. And so I guess, how do you see this all playing out, especially in um, developing countries right now? Yeah, it's, um, um, I think, I think this is this is exactly what we will be seeing more and more, unfortunately, of of what's been happening in Sri Lanka, and that I mean has um, has led to huge political unrest. Um, because of course, those impacted first by the energy price spikes are the poorest that are already under a lot of strain because of the impacts of COVID and climate change. So I, I think. Some would say, like, um, okay, this is this is um, the best argument we have to um, now do everything possible to bring down prices um, in the short term, and this is where gas comes in, and so on. As I said, gas is more expensive; it's actually the short term solution, and so on. But some might say this, but that would be um, a totally wrong analysis, um, not just from um, looking at from as, at gas as a as a, as an energy investment, but also because if these people take through the street is that we haven't managed um, COVID right. In maybe in, in, in Europe, we might have the impression that it's nearly over um, and that we got through it quite okay. But this is not the same in the rest of the world um, that didn't get the same access to the vaccines and um, where governments didn't have the same possibilities of investing into the economy, providing subsidies and 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 support for the poorest. Um, on top of this now the energy prices and of course the food prices and um and and the the the, the risks of climate change aggravating. So what this means, yes, we need to actually use this crisis to invest heavily into renewables into the green transition. And we need to do it in a way that is that actually at the same time allows us to um, bring also about a social shift where um, this allows us to fight, for instance, extreme poverty and food insecurity. And and the opportunities are here because we know that crises are interrelated and the solutions are as well. And as I said, the financing is not a real, it's not a budgetary question. The money is there. The, the question is, where do you put it? So. Um, the G7 talked a lot about the jet piece. Um, so the South African one being obviously the the example, the just energy transition plan, but also others being under discussion, for instance, with Indonesia and India. And it would be very important to see those coming through with ambitious targets, but also with the right financing. But jet piece shouldn't be limited to um, to the emerging mar- markets. We also need to to support um, poorer countries in their energy transition and ensuring that people get access to energy, but to sustainable energy and um, um, giving them new economic opportunities. And I think maybe apart from the fact that we had to fight a rollback at the G7, I'm probably most disappointed that there hasn't been any um, progress on the 100 billion promise, which was made in 29, should uh, should have been um, implemented by 2020. And all we got from the G7 communique is that they are confident to meet this goal next year, which is three years later. And uh, I mean, it's great that they are confident, but they must also understand that the rest of the world is not necessarily confident in, in their words. What matters is is action, and um, there are still a few months to go. And I think if there is a real, yeah, signal from the G7 ahead of the COP, it would go a long way, and it would help certainly also restore this credibility that we need, this trust that we need to to make collective progress. 
Do you, speaking of COP and the upcoming COP27 in coming up in November, would you say that this recent decision and the current energy crisis right now that we're seeing, and the, the recent decision I mean by the gas investments coming from the coming from the G7, would you see this from your perspective? Do you see this kind of giving giving COP COP27 a bit of trouble going forward? between negotiations between countries um yeah i think i i think it's it is um um probably this these mixed signals on 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 i mean let's call it what it is fossil fuel investments um but also the lack of of an or of sufficient progress elsewhere um and i think the the g7 was was um not at the height it, sh it should have been as i said um nothing really new on the 100 billion we could also mention loss and damage uh which was for the first time actually acknowledged by the g7 which is great um but without any concrete action and um it even seems as if the new climate shield that they have suggested with uh, you know coming with insurances and so on that they might see this as a substitute to loss and damage and that would be quite terrible because this is not what it is. It, it's an important initiative, but it's it can't be a substitute for proper loss and damage um, financing. So I think it's actually um, a mix of all of this. There's that, yeah, that, that doesn't, I mean, that simply means that the G7 hasn't taken the leadership we wanted them to see. And in past years, very often, um, it's, um, you have a small group of countries and, and, very often it is the G7. It can obviously also be a, a, a another grouping of countries doing the right thing, taking leadership, taking um, audacious um, decisions, and then you have the rest follow. It just sets the right tone for bigger negotiations such as the COP, but also the G20. However, what I would also say, um, the G7 is not the only a group of country where leadership can come from. What we should, for instance, also um, underline is that so far we were talking about the G7 as a whole, but the reality is that it was mostly Germany and Italy actually um, pushing for a mention of gas investments and others actually, such as the UK and, um, and France, were um, pushing against it. So um, it's not a homogeneous block, which is reassuring. Um, I think we're also seeing, I mean, great progress elsewhere, for instance, with Finland having an extremely ambitious NDC now, or West Australia deciding to transition out of coal by 2029. Um, and there are certainly many more examples like this. I'm not talking about a climate club here, but I think if um, leaders want to make progress and if they are, are serious about fighting climate change, they can find the right alliances and make commitments, make announcements that are meaningful before we go into the COP. And I think this is also where um, the UN General Assembly and Climate Week will be important. And, and yeah, and as global citizen, we also hope that our festival will help in the right way. I just wanted to finish up with, I guess, what the, the G7 communication of in terms of when they were referring to fossil fuel investments, aka gas. They mentioned, quote, it won't cause lock-in effects. Do you do you think this is possible, given given the circumstances that we're in? They they also mentioned. The, I mean, um, you just quoted also Chancellor Scholz mentioning the 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 climate goals, and they said temporary. I I think it it is very difficult. I'm an internal optimist. Um, so I think what we need now need to see is that they are being specific. Um, like just I mean. This, this sentence that Scholz said in the press conference afterwards, great. But if he 
he's uh, true about it, then he needs to put forward the plans and really explain um, what what uh, Germany is is planning, ideally as part of the EU. Great. So being mindful of your time, Frederick, um, that's all we have time for today. So again, thank you so much for coming on Energy Insights. But before we sign off, is there any way you would like to point listeners to either follow your work or your organization's work on, on social media? Yeah, everyone can go to uh, globalcitizen.org or also find us um, on Twitter, uh, Instagram and, and so on. And um, what I just want to say at the end is that progress is possible. And um, as citizens, we need to demand progress so everyone can um, can ship in and um, yeah, just have a look at what we're proposing on our website. Great. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks again for coming on. If you found this podcast episode valuable, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel, share it with your friends and colleagues on social media, or head to our website, www.energytracker.asia for more. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Energy Insights.